Happy New Year's Eve, High Rock. I hope 2023 was a good year for you and that you've been enjoying a, a lower key week in the days since Christmas. For many of us, these slower days are a good time for looking backwards and looking forwards. We reflect on how the past year went and consider our hopes for 2024. So, how did 2023 go for you? As I've been coming down the home stretch for this year, it's been a chance to consider what I really valued these past 12 months. Many of us will make resolutions or set goals that we hope to accomplish over the course of the year. We might be super excited and motivated in January, but December will show us how bad we actually wanted those things. Were we able to follow through or did things fizzle out? 2023 was definitely a mixed bag for me. I didn't set any formal goals at the beginning of the year, but there were definitely some things that I wanted. For a while, I've been wanting to cut down on, on late night snacking. Now, I'd have an ironclad will after dinner, but as the night went on, I would hear the siren song of Trader Joe's peanut butter pretzel nuggets. More often than not, I found myself unable to resist their call. And finally, in a moment of desperation, I made the drastic step of not buying them the next time I went to Trader Joe's. Turns out that did the trick and I've been nugget free for several months now. I also entered the year wanting to have more space for solitude and prayer and reflection on my inner life, especially when it comes to paying attention to fears and anxieties that were often gnawing at me. It wasn't easy, but over the course of the year, I was able to put in some better boundaries and rhythms for getting this space. I feel like I've made some strides this year and I've been paying off. It wasn't just a year of wins though. When the Taylor Swift heiress craze was in full force, I told myself I was not going to give in. I wasn't going to get caught up in the fever. If I could resist Trader Joe, I could resist Taylor Swift. And then my Spotify wrapped came out and wouldn't you know it, she was number three on my top artists. I guess I couldn't shake her off after all. But as the year wound down, I also realized that there were some relationships that I had wanted to keep up with, even with just like touches, like a, a quick phone call or an encouraging text that I had let slide. I can remember many moments where I thought, hey, now would be a good time to reach out to them. But I just opted to get back to work, read a sports article or, or do something else. I wanted to develop those relational muscles a bit more, but at the end of the day, I ended up choosing something else. And I think this is what it often comes down to with these goals or, or resolutions. What do we say that we want versus what do we actually want? I can say I want to quit the pretzel nuggets all I want, but if I keep buying them, that tells me I want to keep snacking. I can put up a strong front on T-Swift, but when my six-year-old wants me to sing Love Story at the top of my lungs with her, well, I want that more. Re reflecting on practices of solitude and relational connections will tell me about what I ultimately valued in those decision-making moments. What did I value more? Connecting with God or being busy? Connecting with others or doing something for myself? The proof is in the pudding. Think for a second about a goal or desire you had this past year. Maybe it was related to your spiritual life, your finances, time with family, time reading books, or being active. If you were to plot that out on a graph, where you are and where you want to be, the space between those two things has been called the value gap. It refers to how much motivation or desire we have to work towards making a dream a reality. Are we just saying we value it? Or do we actually value it enough to make changes, even hard changes, to get it? Jesus famously said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basically, we get what we want. Not what we shape our resolutions lists around, 
but what we shape our lives around, our behaviors and actions and decisions. What do we really treasure? What do we really value? Maybe we want to grow in generosity, but keep investing in our travel budget. Maybe we want to have better communication with our spouse, but never schedule a date night or just turn on the TV as soon as the kids are in bed. Maybe we're trying to save for a down payment, but we just keep buying that avocado toast. Just kidding. I see you fellow millennials. Perhaps we want to cultivate deeper relationships with our friends, but we never take the risky step of sharing more honestly. We want reconciliation, but never ask for forgiveness. We want to be free from addiction, but we don't take steps away from substances or distractions and towards accountability and support. We want to have better rhythms of prayer and scripture, but we settle for scrolling instead. Does any of this resonate with you? Can you identify a place or a relationship in which you would like to grow, but you ended up prioritizing competing things? Perhaps something you set your sights on in January 2023, but now you find yourself coming up short. In each of those instances, we gain insight into what is truly important to us, what we truly value. Because we didn't increase the actual value we had for something. We weren't able to attain it. We weren't able to close the value gap. As we look forward to 2024, we may see parts of our lives that we want to change, maybe that we are even desperate to change. But will it happen? Or or is the gap just too far? Well, today we get to end our year while beginning the next part of our journey through the Gospel of Luke. During the season of Advent, we reflected on this new kind of kingdom that Luke was announcing in the coming of Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, we get to consider what life in his kingdom looks like. How can we move from being aware of the kingdom to being alive in the kingdom? We're going to begin by asking about the gap. What is the gap between the kind of life that Jesus is offering and the life we currently have? Advent was all about the the coming of hope, peace, joy, and love. Things we all would say that we want. So now that Jesus is here, how can we actually take hold of them? In today's passage, we get to see a community doing that very thing. They want to close the gap, and they're willing to make some radical changes to do so. Luke brings his narrative back to John. You might remember back to the beginning of Advent when we heard about his birth to an unlikely couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. An angel told Zechariah that many will rejoice because of John's birth, because he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. John was born, he grew up, and now he's ready to begin the work that God called him to do. Luke tells us that, like other biblical prophets, the word of God came to him, and he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke captures this work by quoting the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Typically, if we say that someone is a voice in the wilderness, we're saying that they're out on an island. No one is, is out there listening to them. But for the Israelites, this was a hopeful image. It brings them back to a time when they were called back out of exile into the wilderness, through the wilderness, and eventually making their way home. John was announcing that God was making a way for salvation, filling in the valleys, straightening the roads, making a way for people to find their way back to God, back to life. So John goes out throughout the country, proclaiming that God is coming and that the people should get ready. Be baptized as an act of repentance. 
John was announcing a way to freedom and salvation, and the people responded. They came out in droves. Luke chapter 3 starts off so well for the people. John is living into God's call. He's preparing a way for the Lord. They come out looking good here. Everyone gathers around the Jordan River. It's a big moment. And then John opens his mouth. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John, what are you doing? I feel like John is the uncle of Christmas that you might have been scared to introduce your boyfriend or girlfriend to. He's a bit of a wild card. Why? After all this work to get the people to come down to the Jordan, it's John speaking to the crowds like this. In the biblical story, snake-related descriptions and insults have often been heard as clear callbacks to the serpent in Genesis 3, which persuaded Adam and Eve to believe a lie about God and themselves. Just as the effects of believing that lie reverberate throughout the rest of the biblical story, that image continues to pop up here and there. For example, the famous giant Goliath had scaly or snake-like armor. It's not a random detail, but a callback to the serpent, who was also against God and God's people. John is invoking this image. The people who were supposed to enjoy a life of blessing with God and bless the world together were continuing to perpetuate the lie from Genesis 3 that they didn't need God to kind of have the kind of life they wanted. So instead of their hearts being turned towards God and each other, they were turned away in selfishness and fear. They're a whole family of snakes. But there's a wrinkle here. There might be a shred of a silver lining in this insult. Broods of vipers are a lot like many of us around the holidays. They like to stay snuggly and warm and not be disturbed. But when they are threatened, they dispersed. And upon hearing John, these people are dispersed. They, they left the comfort of their daily lives because they realized, they were shocked into realizing that they needed something new. They realized that they were being warned about the consequences of the life they were choosing. John asked them, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Well, you, John. And he goes on to say the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This past fall, I visited London for the very first time. And all around the tube are the famous signs, mind the gap. They're a warning to watch your step getting on the train. They don't want you to fall in the gap between the platform and the car. In the same way, John is warning them about their own gap their own disparity between who they are and who they have been called to be. John doesn't want anything bad to befall them any more than the tube operators once you've fallen into the gap. But he's offering this warning for their sake so that they might turn towards life instead. And the people responded. They didn't want to be people of the lie anymore. They wanted to be the people of God. And they were willing to do whatever it took to close the gap between the two. So even though baptism was something reserved for, for non-Jews, these crowds were coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John is having them come back to where things began, to the river that the people had to cross to enter Israel for the first time. It's like he's re rebooting the entire story. Things didn't work out so well for the first time, so we're going to try it again, you know, this time with feeling. We're going to re-enter the river and come out as a new kind of people, ready to receive the new thing that God is doing. It was a huge step of humility and hope. But they were going to be completely different now. When it comes to making big changes, some of us need big warnings. 
When I was told I had a skin cancer that needed dealing with, I had to make some major changes to my outdoor habits, sunscreen, hats, the whole works. For a good friend of mine, took getting arrested after a second DUI for him to enter a treatment program and get the help he needed. Others of us could tell stories about marriages at the brink of divorce or other health crises that were huge wake-up moments. Many can point to the murder of George Floyd or violence towards the AAPI community as something that galvanized them towards steps of social change. We realize that there is something big in us or in our culture that needs to change. It's a gap that we need to overcome. Now, we might be inclined to hear John's warning as just another example of God shaking his fist, telling people to get it together or prepare to be smited. I know that a number of us can think back on times when we have responded to God out of fear or guilt. And while the gap might have shrunk in the short term, didn't have much staying power. We don't want to follow a God like that. And thankfully, that's not who God is. God is not just telling us to figure it out, to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, try harder. Remember, John is announcing that salvation has come near, that the mountains have been made low, that the valleys have been filled, the roads have been straightened, because in Jesus, God has come to us, making a way for new life. So these acts of repentance and change that we see are in response to that grace, people saying yes to God's yes to them. And John tells them to take some pretty significant steps. He calls them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This means that there needs to be a consistency between what they profess and how they live. They ask John, what do we do? And he tells them, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors who were seen as traitors by other Jews came to be baptized. And he told them, don't collect any more than you're required to. And if that weren't enough, even the Roman soldiers came to him and he said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Luke is helping us see that this kingdom is for everyone, salvation for all. The culturally observant Jews, the outcast tax collectors, even the Roman oppressors. Everyone is invited to be a part of this new thing that God is doing. But Luke is also clear that if we want kingdom life, but aren't willing to give our shirts away or, or make financial restitution for those we have wronged, then we aren't going to have it. We aren't really closing the gap because ultimately we're valuing the world's kingdom over God's kingdom. It's not enough to just give lip service. If we really value something, we need to act on it even, and perhaps especially, if it's challenging or costly. After I got my skin cancer removed, I had to shave my beard and undergo a procedure to zap any other cancer cells. I ended up looking like a member of the Red Man group. I felt ridiculous, but better red than dead, right? All right. That's a fairly silly example, but there are lots of serious ones out there. My friend who went into recovery with Alcoholics Anonymous took an inventory of his life and then went to anyone he had wronged to confess and ask for forgiveness. I can only imagine how, how difficult and awkward that must have been at times, but it was a significant step towards healing these relationships. And as part of a recent theology lab, we heard the story of a woman who chose to give away 90% of her income and live off 10% of it, a reverse tithe, because she believed that's what life in God's kingdom looked like. Sometimes, closing a gap will require radical, even silly-sounding steps. But this is how we get to life with Jesus. Luke was a physician, and we'll see themes of health and healing come out throughout the gospel. 
Sometimes the medicine that we need is not the medicine we want. Might not taste very good going down, but it is exactly what's required to, to heal us. That's what I experienced with my skin cancer, as did my friend in recovery, and the woman who gave so much of her income away. The, the good news of the kingdom is so very good, but it calls us out of our old ways of living, and that can be hard. <laughs> Take, for instance, these instructions that John the Baptist gave. Give up your shirts, give up your coats. <laughs> we must say, like, hey, it's Boston. We've got a lot of shirts and coats. A lot of the medicine that, that Jesus has to offer in Luke's gospel will speak to our finances. Those words are going to feel challenging for many of us. The fact of the matter is that when it comes to closing the gap, to moving from our current life into kingdom life, all of us are going to have our hangups. Some of us will struggle with the Bible's sexual ethic or, or teachings on money or calls to, to reconciliation. Those are difficult, costly things. But they might be exactly the medicine that we need to experience the life we were created for. Friends, this is the good news that we have received. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. God has, has made a way. And, and the invitation for us at all times, but especially now as we enter into a new year, is to ask, God, how can I step into this life? Who do you want me to be? What are the valleys and mountains that stand in the way of the life you have called me to? And how can my love for you become greater than my love for those things? Earlier, I referred to some relationships that I let slide because I prioritized other things like work or vegging out a little bit. But I found that what often drives that is, is a feeling of scarcity, that I won't have the time I need to do other things or I don't have the emotional energy to lean in. It's the gap of feeling like I don't have enough. But God's economy, God's kingdom is one of abundance, not scarcity. And when we move forward in love, out of a desire to bless, then God will provide what we need. That's why Jesus can tell us to seek first the kingdom and everything else will follow. We don't need to worry about whether or not we have enough capacity or, or capability or shirts or coats. So this year, when I feel God's prompting to, to reach out or give or serve, and I find myself doubting there's enough of what I need, I'm going to take a breath and remind myself that God has made a way. And hopefully that gap will be smaller this time next year. I want us to take a moment to consider how we might take a step to close the gap between our life now and the life that God calls us to. What would that step look like for you? Perhaps it might mean literally giving away some of your possessions or asking for forgiveness from someone you have wronged, becoming more generous with your time or your home. I'd love for you to, to take a moment to allow God to shine some light on what that next step might be, and then we will continue with our corporate confession. Thanks be to God.